Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. Today our topic is going to be Characters Counterfeit. Let's begin today in Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, beginning in the first verse, it says, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope for the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Verse 4 said, And patience experience, and experience hope. The vast majority of other versions of the Bible translate experience as character. This verse is talking about the importance of character, what leads to it, and what it leads to itself. Character isn't spoken about enough in churches today, and its absence in the larger conversation has played a big part in why the church is facing many of the problems that it is today. Over time, character has received less and less emphasis from the church. Slowly and methodically, it's been removed from what's considered essential to the Christian life, and there's a reason for this. The devil doesn't want to fight men of good character, he wants to fight people with no sense of morality or ethics. He wants to come against people with no integrity or honesty, because lacking these things makes a person weaker and an easier target. And he knows that if he can do this wholesale across the church, the church won't be as readily able to come against his devices as easily as they once did. The devil is behind this subtle removal of character from the Christian conversation, and to prove that the devil's behind it, all you need to do is take one look at the world, the devil's own territory. The world in recent decades has increasingly put more and more emphasis on character. They celebrate it, they write books on it, give classes and seminars on it, and they stress it as one of the most invaluable parts of a person's life, and they don't even have it in its real fullest form. They're doing this for a reason. They're doing it because they find value in character. They're doing it because they know that there are so many benefits that come from having a good character. The devil knows the power it has, which is why he stresses it so much in his own territory, while at the same time trying to get those in the church to underemphasize it. This subtle plan has been working, but it's time that the church takes another look at character and sees why it's so necessary. The first thing that we need to ask ourselves is what exactly is character? The Oxford Dictionary defines it as the mental and moral qualities distinctive to an individual. It could be traced back to a Greek word meaning to sharpen, to cut in furrows, to engrave. It also means a mark, a distinctive quality. This is what the world is stressing so much, but this is talking about morality and talking about being distinctive. This is exactly what we as Christians should specialize in. If we're not distinct from the world, then we're really just one of them. If we're not the ones maintaining a higher standard of morality, then we're just settling for a lower threshold, the same as those in the world do. Character is one of the main things that sets us apart from the world, which is why it's the very thing that the devil tries so vehemently to come against. If he can devalue character in the eyes of the church, he can rob from us the marks of distinction that we would have otherwise had. If the world can't see that we're any different than them, then they have no reason to see the need to let the Lord change their lives. 
This is why lack of character is at the root of so many of the church's problems today. We need to take a closer look at another part of the definition, which said to sharpen, to cut, to engrave. Another dictionary said it means to chisel. Chiseling is done in order to make something out of something else, or to clear away things that are unwanted. The same is true of our character. It needs to be chiseled. It has to be fashioned. Since this is something that has to do with what's inward, who we are as a person, it can't be done by someone else on our behalf. It's something that we have to do ourselves with the help of God. It takes time and effort, but in the end, it's worth the exertion when we know that we have a good character. The next question that we need to ask ourselves is how exactly do we fashion our character? When we're attempting to build our character, we become like a sculptor. When a sculptor is getting ready to make a sculpture, he gets a block of granite or marble, which is his raw material, and then once he has a design in mind, he begins to chisel it into what he wants it to be. We can learn a lot from how a sculptor acts. The first is the importance of the raw material. When you chisel, it means that there must be something there to chisel. So what's the raw material out of which we carve and chisel our character? The raw material is our intellect, our passions, our emotions, our desires, our will, our way of thinking, and our experiences. When these things are all collectively taken together, they produce our character. Just because we have these things on their own, though, doesn't mean that we have a good character. Everyone has a character, be it bad or good. But if we want our character to become something different than what it currently is, it has to be chiseled first. This leads us to the next lesson which we can learn, which is the importance of intention. Once a sculptor has his raw material in place, he doesn't just go up to it and start aimlessly hacking away at it. We would all rightly consider that to be foolish, because it means he has no direction, he has no design in mind, he's just chiseling for the sake of chiseling. The sculptor instead is very methodical, he chisels only in certain places and with different degrees of force. He only chisels away certain amounts of his raw material and only does it at certain times because he has a specific intention behind what he's doing. There's an end game to the chiseling. Intention is also very important because it guards against needless mistakes. When dealing with a medium like granite, mistakes are costly because once something is broken off, it can't be reattached, which means that you have to go back to square one and redesign your entire project. When dealing with our character, we need to be very intentional with how we choose to sculpt it, because it's in our power to make it better or worse. If we want to make it better, which should be the goal of all Christians, we need to have a design in mind. We need to have an idea about what we're going to do with the raw material that we have right now. We have to figure out what's the most beneficial to us and find out what's working against our purpose and use that information accordingly. Chiseling is an action, which means that part of our intention should be to act, not just talking about having a better character, but taking real solid steps to making it happen. Earlier, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 4, it said, And patience experience. This shows that patience is one of the greatest ways that we can better our character. In the third verse, it told us that tribulation work of patience. Patience is our ability to stay calm and collected, the ability to wait, when everything is going wrong all around us and it seems like we need to do something now, even if it's not the best time. People with a good character don't act too impulsively or act irrationally 
or overly emotional when tribulations come. They take them for what they are and take whatever lesson they can learn from them. Sufferings and afflictions aren't given to us by God, but God will use them to teach us things that we need to know. He can use them to teach us things that would have been very hard for us to learn in any other way. That's why character many times is forged in the furnace of suffering. It's not pleasant, not comfortable, not enjoyable, but it serves a larger purpose if we allow it to. The difference is made in whether we intend to learn something from each experience or not. It all comes down to intention. A sculptor also knows what to remove, when to remove it, and is okay with the fact that once he removes it, he loses it. There's no way to reattach what gets chiseled away. So the sculptor does himself a great disservice if he's not absolutely sure what exactly should be removed. He removes what's not needed. He removes what would be detrimental to an otherwise nice sculpture. And he removes whatever doesn't add beauty to the sculpture. When sculpting our character, some things, especially those things that aren't good for us, will have to be removed, and we have to be okay with that, or else we'll never chisel at all. If we're afraid to give up anything, no work can be done, and we'll stall our own growth. Something has to be removed in order for the sculpture to be made, and if you want a good character, some parts of your life, some desires, some ways of thinking, some emotions that you indulge in are going to have to be curtailed or else you'll never make progress. You'll just stay in that same condition. There are many benefits that we find with a good character, but in order to find, we first had to be willing to lose, which is a larger principle that applies to all aspects of the Christian life. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 33. In Ezekiel chapter 33, beginning in the 30th verse, it says, Also, thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses, and speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what is the word that cometh forth from the Lord. And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song, of one that have a pleasant voice, and can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they do them not. And when this cometh to pass, lo, it will come. Then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. This chapter shows us the next thing that we need to look at, which is the counterfeit of character. For those of God's people, who the devil can't convince that character isn't necessary or isn't important, he conveniently offers a counterfeit to it, which is what he always does. The counterfeit, the thing that most people, especially Christians, most commonly mistake for character, is charisma. Phonetically, they seem very similar, but they're actually very different. Many might think that they're derived from the same word, but they're not. Charisma is defined as compelling attractiveness or charm that can inspire devotion in others. It comes from the Greek word for favor and grace. It has to do with finding grace with other people. Charisma is not bad in and of itself, but it is a double-edged sword. It can be used wrongly. Verse 32 said, And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song, of one that hath a pleasant voice, and can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they do them not. Far too many Christians have fallen into this trap. This is what they're looking for. They want someone who can speak eloquently, 
but they don't really care about the content of what he sang. They want a musician who can play beautifully, but they don't really care about the power or anointing of the music itself. And worst of all, they want someone who will tell them about God, but they don't want someone who will introduce them to God. What this really boils down to is the modern church elevating charisma over character. We've allowed ourselves to put more value on talent than the anointing. In the age of television, radio, and internet, we're living in a time that's especially susceptible to this. Because now we're looking for preachers who look good on TV. We're looking for preachers with the best sounding voices. We're looking for the preachers who are able to get people energized and emotional. Because all these things help their ratings. But at the end of the day, these things are meaningless unless there's something to back them up. Charisma is only dangerous if there's no real character behind it. If a person has character and then is also a charismatic person, that's a great combination and God can use it for his glory. But a person with a bad character and charisma can be a very dangerous person. Charisma is something that not everyone has, whereas everyone has some type of character, good or bad. The first danger of this is that in elevating charisma over character, a large amount of people are automatically counted out from ever being successful in the church for something that has no basis in scripture. In making charisma a prerequisite for success, we're making for a standard, something that can't be controlled. A person doesn't work up charisma. They can't learn it. It's a gift that they've been given by God. But all those other people who haven't received that same gift, but may be otherwise incredibly gifted, have no shot of ever becoming successful because they don't fit that arbitrary criteria, an unspoken set of rules that were never given by God. In doing this, the church is straying far from the will of God. We know our God is no respecter of persons, but we've allowed it to get to the point where we believe someone is called by God solely off the fact that they're charismatic. In the natural, it might seem like a good indicator. It might seem like they check all the boxes, but in the spiritual, it's a completely different story. Scripture affirms that charisma isn't an appropriate way to tell who's the one that God has placed his anointing upon. When Samuel was looking for the one who would be the next king of Israel after Saul, he made this mistake. He was looking for the charismatic one who would look right, talk right, and act the expected way. 1 Samuel chapter 16 verses 6-7 say, And it came to pass, when they were come, that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. This is the same thing happening today. We're dealing with people who in many cases have deviated from the will of God, but who we nevertheless refuse to stop following because they do everything we expect a man of God to do. Nothing outwardly would give the impression that they're not what they claim to be. But it's not the outward that's the problem, it's the inward. The word heart here in the Hebrew means the inner man, mind, will, and heart. God's looking at a man's character, but these people haven't cultivated a good character. They've ignored it while just cultivating the outward. What this leads to is them having all the unessentials, all the things that are nice to have but aren't really necessary, while missing all the things that have any real, solid, enduring value. It's these people, people who have no integrity, no morals or ethics, no honesty, 
but who are still very charismatic people. People who are personable, with a great personality, who are the people who are at the head of cults. They're those who lead people into heresies and delusional doctrines. People are drawn to the outward. They have the look. They have the personality. They say all the right things, but there's nothing behind it. Jesus warned us in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You wouldn't know a wolf in sheep's clothing until you look beneath the surface. Sometimes these wolves come in when we're not looking or in a way that we don't expect. Jude verse 4 says, For there are certain men crept in unaware, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. We have to vet the people that we're dealing with, both in the church and in the world. We can't let our guard down just because they claim that they're a Christian. Some of the worst lies and deceptions throughout history have occurred because of people who falsely said that they were followers of Christ. So how do we know who we're dealing with? How do we know if we're really dealing with a sheep or with a wolf? The answer is the evidence that we find. Let's go to Mark chapter 11. In Mark chapter 11, beginning in the 11th verse, it says, And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked round about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. This chapter, although it may not seem like it at first glance, reveals a lot to us about the dangers of charisma. Jesus didn't go over to the tree for no reason. He didn't say, why don't we go check that dead barren tree? It might have some fruit. That would have been foolish. He went over there because there were leaves. It was alive and well, and it looked like there would be fruit on it. The same danger is present when dealing with charisma. A lot of people seem like they're amazing great Christians. Many preachers seem like they're amazing men of God with an untouchable character. But in reality, they're just trees with leaves and no fruit. The leaves cover up the fact that they have no fruit. So outwardly, they appear spiritually vibrant, but beneath the surface, there's nothing there, just empty branches. We find who we're dealing with when we look for the fruit. Where the fruits of the Spirit are present, we know that we found someone with a good character, someone who cares enough to chisel the inner man into something better than it was before. When a person has a good character, evident through the fruits of the Spirit manifesting in their lives, and then they also had the gift of charisma, it could be a remarkable combination. Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 44, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Lord draws people to himself, and many times he'll use a charismatic messenger to be the vessel for which he does the drawing. Charisma can be a great tool in serving God. There are times when having favor and grace with people will work to our benefit. Luke chapter 2 and verse 52 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and man. Jesus had charisma, and he was able to use it in the best way, because it was rooted in a great character. But what if you don't feel like you have it, though? You can't allow yourself to get too caught up on looking for charisma. It's nice when dealing with others, 
But charisma will do you no good when you're alone with God. But character will. Character will always be essential, whether you're all alone or if you're surrounded by others. Whether God's blesses with charisma or not, the most important thing is that we, through the help and guidance of God, chisel our character so that it's in line with God's will for our lives, and so it resembles the character of Christ. When we put forth the time and effort to do this, everything else will fall, and we'll be amazed at what the Lord does with us for His glory. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank You for this day, and we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You've enabled us to have a good character, that You've given us all the raw material, all the things that we need to make our character better, so that our character will honor and glorify You, and that it will be a blessing not only to ourselves, but also to all those around us. Lord, we trust that just like you did with David in giving him the plans for the temple, even though we had no way to know or make those on his own in the natural, and that you made him an architect, even though in the natural he had no education for that, that you'll do the same with us, that you'll give us the plan inwardly for your Holy Spirit, for our intuition, and for our listening to you through our spiritual ear, that you will tell us how exactly to make our character better, that you will show it to us in your word, and that you will give us the education that we need through the school of the Spirit to be able to do all that you are calling us to do, that we'll be able to mold it and sculpt it with such precision that those in the world won't be able to believe what they see. Lord, we thank you that we can have a good character that will honor you and be a testament to your greatness when those in the world see us acting and living our life. Lord, we ask that you grant us the wisdom and the strength and the discernment to mold in the right way, to mold our character into the fashion of Christ's character. And we ask for the discernment to be protected from falling for the deceit of the enemy that tries to pass off charisma as character. Lord, help us to see through the false facade that many people put on. Lord, we thank you that you are going to protect us from the wolves in sheep's clothing and that we'll be able to see and perceive them for what they really are. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done in our life, all that you're doing right now, and all the great things that we know that you have set apart for us in the future. And Lord, we give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to have a good character, and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for His forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for His free gift of eternal life. Now if you've prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from, and if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all, And we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.